Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are now certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our best lives by telling one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. This week on the podcast, we sit down with Julianne Vaccaro, a somatic sexologist, spiritual mentor, and women's holistic health and life coach. Julianne helps powerful, purpose-driven individuals self-heal, awaken their feminine, and come home to their body to reclaim an abundant life of freedom and pleasure. On this episode, we have an in-depth conversation on somatic sexology, tapping into your sexual energy and power, the divine feminine, and practical tools and tips you can practice at home to tap into your own powerful energy. Julianne's personal journey to this work is so inspiring, and we are grateful for her for sharing her courageous story. Julianne is also the host of the Reclamation Project podcast, and you can listen to Allie and I on her podcast too. The episode is titled Poison into Medicine, and we explore our personal journeys and the impact of our Buddhist practice. It is linked in our show notes. Enjoy the episode. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. Well, welcome, Julianne. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to drop in with you guys again. Um, so to start off, can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey and how that led you into the work that you currently do? Absolutely. So I've been in the health and fitness industry uh, for quite some time. That's really where I started my journey. And I like to always tell my story like from a perspective of turning points and what those biggest turning points for me have been. So when I started in the health and fitness journey, it really started from a place of wanting to fix myself from feeling really broken and for really wanting to have the body that I saw in like fashion magazines and in fitness magazines. I was, I went to school for art and fashion originally. And so the model body was really like, it turned me on. I loved that. I loved like that bony lean look. And so a lot of my chase after health was really from a perspective of how lean can I get and I'll just do it from the healthy way. So um, I started out as a holistic health coach and I found 
raw veganism. And so I landed on that and did that for about three years. And it was so much fun. I really loved the lifestyle and the diet until my body just started to really crap out on me and my hair was falling out. I was gaining a lot of weight. I was so extremely fatigued and I worked with an oriental medicine doctor at the time and she let me know that I had really severe adrenal fatigue and that was really the first turning point for me where I experienced something like a fallout with my body and recognized that it didn't matter how healthy I was eating. I was eating all organic foods. I was going to to farms locally in Tampa, Florida at the time and I was juicing and smoothieing every day. So you'd think that I'd be super healthy from the inside, but it wasn't a diet that worked for me. And I also realized that the emotional and spiritual realms of my life were so important. I was in a relationship at the time that just wasn't for me. There was nothing wrong. I just wasn't happy. And so I realized that all of those things play into your overall health and well-being. And so from there, I switched hard into the world of aesthetics. I became a registered yoga teacher. I started teaching boxing. I worked at UFC gym for about four years and I was personal training. And that was where I discovered the world of bodybuilding. And I was like, that one, like that will make me happy. That will give me the body that I want. And I'll eat chicken, rice, and broccoli all day for the rest of forever if I can have that body. And so I did that for about three years and lost all of my holistic practices um, started experimenting, experimenting with everything I could under the sun to get that that level of perfection with my body. And by the end of those three years, all of my eating disorders were back. I had amenorrhea, so I, I had lost my period for over a year. I had developed all of these digestive issues, and my relationship with myself and my body were just totally destroyed. And so it was one one day specifically where I just had a binging episode that left me like in my driveway covered in peanut butter, like the steering wheel, the gear shifter. And I just like looked at myself in the rear view mirror, like, who are you doing this for? Why are you competing in this cycle? And so I competed two weeks later and threw in the towel for my competitive career in that way and started a journey of self-love and started to heal my body from the inside out. Once again, I had to rebalance my adrenal health, um, bring my period back, balance my hormones, and also really heal the digestive issues that have developed. And it was such a beautiful journey because it wasn't something where like, I still wanted to have the body that I wanted. Like I wanted the body of a competitor in a healthy way. And so it took a lot of my own self-responsibility to figure out like what foods work for me, what foods don't, um, and also how to balance my hormones. And a lot of the places that I went for support were challenging because they didn't blend the worlds of holistic wellness with aesthetics. At that time, it felt like they were really separate. And so that was kind of my mission was how do I blend these two worlds and do it from a really healthy perspective? So there was a lot of ego work in there too around my body and releasing the the expectations and perfectionism, but it was a big journey. And so over the years, as I started to peel back those layers and really find happiness in my body and find that balance, I was able to have more space to look at the other layers of my life. And I was finding myself in abusive relationships over and over, like ending in the court system and one in one in particular left me with sexual trauma and a pregnancy that was intentional. And so that just opened the world of sexuality for me. It brought a whole new level of lack of safety in my body. It felt like I, I just felt like I had so much baggage that I would never be able to get out of it. And so I really started to look at relationships, the relationship to my sexuality, and it opened up a whole 
whole new layer of looking at my childhood trauma. And so started to heal a lot of those layers, go back into, you know, inner child work, self-parenting. And through that, I discovered somatic sexology because what I kept finding was that, you know, I'd done so much talk therapy. I did so much counseling. I was doing like so many hours a week of my own personal growth work and it was working, right? It was definitely moving the needle, but it wasn't moving the needle to the length that I felt I could reach. And so it was kind of like, okay, I get it. I have the dots connected. I see these things, but I can't get out of these patterns and the lack of safety is still in my body. So having new sexual experiences, I would get locked up and it would reveal new layers. And so I knew there was so much more. So through somatic sexology work, I was able to really come into a place of like embodiment to, to clear my body from old charges to release the emotions that I had around early childhood experiences, um, to really release the trauma from my body, release things out of my womb, um, clear sexual shame, and really come home to my body. And that's really what led me into the work now and, and combining all of that. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. It's so layered and so beautiful and I think so relatable for so many women in all, if not you know, one of the different components that you've experienced. And I think now, right, leading into this sexual healing, I think a lot of women, um, sex is an interesting conversation, I feel like, for a lot of women. So maybe to start with this conversation I'm so excited to have, can you tell us what is somatic sexology? If you could just explain the basics of that to begin. Yeah, absolutely. So somatics means like dealing directly with the body um, and psychosomatics is really more of the approach that we take where we're using the mind and the body. So the hands-on work that I do, the hands-on work that I do is very, is all somatic hands in the body. And I take a very somatic based approach in the coaching that I I do as well, even through talk, where we're going into the body, like looking for where these emotions and experiences live so that we can actually work with the inner aspects, work with the the adaptations that have perhaps been developed from these traumas. So when we experience trauma, um, I always like to introduce the principle that everything is energy, right? Emotions are energy, anger, sadness, all of these things. And so when we experience trauma, if we're not moving that energy through, if we're not feeling the anger, feeling the sadness and doing practices to really release it, it gets stuck and stored in the body. And that's where a lot of illness forms. That's where disease gets um, created. And we have all these different pains and symptoms. Like I, you know, had really severe hip pain. I had hip surgery. I would back issues. And through this healing, like all of that stuff has dissolved. It doesn't mean that it doesn't act up or flare up, but it's pretty much gone. Like I would used to wake up and feel breathing pain and not be able to take deep breaths. And I could almost identify it as specific traumas that had happened. Like it would feel like I could see words almost when I would feel these pains. And so what we're doing in somatic sexology is going into the body and giving the body a space to actually feel the things that it hasn't been able to release. Like trauma lives in the tissue, not in our heads, which is why so much talk therapy and all these things are great, but there's more steps to actually release it. So what we're doing, like I said, is really going into the body, giving it a space to complete these memories. Mm. Often when there's stuck 
energy, it's because they're incomplete. Like we've gone through an experience, but we haven't actually, you know, fought our way back to safety. If we've experienced sexual trauma or assault, or maybe we had abuse in our household growing up and we didn't get to express the anger. So we're giving the body a a space to release, to feel, and to open up new new space for new opportunities. We're releasing the charge for a lot of those experiences. And then for the sexology part, it's similar. It's very similar in the the same way that we hold these areas of tension and trauma in our body. We have the same thing, especially as women in our womb space and in our vagina. And so the tissue that's in our vagina is the same that's in our throat. And there's direct lines that are connected from our heart down there. And so what happens is our throat, our voice starts to close off, our heart closes. And so through sexological body work, you're actually releasing a lot of that energy. We're opening up your, your throat chakra, we're opening up your heart chakra and really allowing you to feel fully expressed. Um, so it's a, it's a beautiful work. (laughs) Wow. You know, it's so interesting you putting sort of like articulating this. I've you know, Eric and I on the show in different episodes um, have talked about how like our body is so intelligent that it really holds um, information, right? And and your explanation of somatic sexology or even somatics in general just it really articulates that in a way that I've never heard defined that way before, but it makes so much sense. And drawing the comparison that like even talk therapy, there's absolutely like a place for it, but it's, it's like when we hold the memory or when we hold the emotion in our tissue, in our actual biology, like that we walk around with every day, the ability to repeat those patterns is pretty easy, right? Yeah. And I think like, you know, from a talk therapy perspective and like I studied spiritual psychology, it's like, we can understand that the triggers that we're moving through in present day have nothing to do with present day. They're old stuff, right? Right. But it's like, how do you disarm that so that there isn't a charge for when these things happen in present day? It is not reactivating a wound from when you were three or seven. Right. And that you can like have a conscious understanding of it, but if you still carry it in your body, there's, you know, it's still going to be activated. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting. And it makes a whole lot of sense, especially someone like I dealt I think we talked on your show actually um, with sort of out of the blue cancer diagnosis um, in my late 20s. And it felt like after going through that experience, like I couldn't really articulate maybe what the emotion was, but it felt like a manifestation physically of something emotionally that I was carrying because it was, there was no like direct link to, there was no cancer history in my family. I was not unhealthy per se. Like I was, you know, doing all the things and yet I still had this, this illness that manifested. And for me, like that became in a very real way, how our emotions, um, are deeply, deeply combined, like deeply entrenched. It's, it's all one right with our body and our physical body as well and how we hold that. Um, so it's really interesting to hear you as a professional in this field, be able to articulate and define that because it was sort of something like I came to an understanding of, but I've never heard really broken down in that way before. Yeah. And we're not, we're not like educated about this. I think often Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's masked as something that's like super woo woo and spiritual and like kind of scary in a sense. Like when you start to develop these 
abilities in a way where you can tap in and, and, and feel your intuition and understand your body in a new way. Like it can be scary and overwhelming and it can feel really weird. And I think when you're giving the space to be like, no, this is your superpower. Like this is your intuition trying to guide you. Like you have the space to, to really tap into your wisdom. Yeah. And I think the body is, um, if you're able to tap in and I'm so excited to go deeper into the work you do, because I do really believe if you do tap into the body, it is the quickest way to move through and release. Right. Because I've heard, I love what you shared too about, um, like completing the story or completing the memory. Cause I've heard this, um, through my own therapy, talk therapy, where, you know, there's these memories that we have from childhood or these traumatic things that happen to us, but it's like our brain stops right at that like traumatic moment and doesn't complete the memory or complete the thought. And it's actually, and it takes a lot of work, you know, again, when it's just in your head and not through your body to be like, no, but I got through, right? What happened next? I, I made it. I survived. Um, I'm, I'm here now. This is my 31-year-old body, not acting and responding from the 12-year-old or whatever age the trauma occurred for each of us. And that's been really powerful just in my own life. And Definitely. I've, I've dabbled in this a little bit where I started reading um, The Body Keeps the Score and Women, Food, and God. And it all talks about um, kind of like our reactions aren't coming right from this 31-year-old body. They're coming from other places. So I would love to know, right, like how do you work with women, right, especially in moving through these things in their body? Like, how do you help women? And you talk a lot, right, about like awakening to this feminine power and like really coming home to our bodies. Because I think a lot of us too don't even realize or maybe realize but don't know how to get there, but we're so disconnected from our bodies, so disconnected. Well, I think, I think the first part is, is recognizing that our sexuality and sensuality is such a part of our womanhood and our femininity. Like, I think when I started going into this field, it was like, I didn't even realize that I had so much of a disconnect to femininity. Like even thinking back to the last two years, like I was in workout clothes all the time. That was the industry that I was in. I never wore dresses or like really celebrated my femininity. And so in a lot of it, it's, it's like, understanding what femininity is and recognizing that it is powerful, that it is fierce and you can be soft and powerful at the same time and that we are such sexual beings. So I think that in the culture we live in with such patriarchal ways and the, and, and just being in that kind of an energy for so long, we've just gotten disconnected from our bodies. We've gotten disconnected from our, from our hormones, from our immune cycle, from our ability to feel and tap into our emotions. And we've also been told that men are sexual, like men are the sexual ones and we're spiritual when really it's the opposite. Like women are, are biologically more insatiable than men are. We're the sexual ones. And I think that's just been something that's been knocked down and we've been repressed in that way. And so part of really awakening your feminine and coming home to your sexuality is feeling um, celebrated for that, releasing the shame, the guilt, the judgment for feeling sexual, for being aroused, for for feeling turned on. Um, And I think feeling that turn on and leading from that place is what creates that magnetism that we see in embodied women, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, how, so do you, you specifically work with women, but I want to like, or I want to go into the fact that like this necessarily is not, um, specific 
to one identify like gender, not necessarily because like femininity and masculinity are energies you're talking about. And that like, even culturally you're saying we've lost femininity as a culture. Um, and that there's been an imbalance because of like this sort of patriarchal culture that we've lived in for, you know, many, many centuries now. Um, and I'm curious how you work with, yes, women, you know, bringing, coming home to their own sense of femininity, but can you talk a little bit about how that's perhaps different than like identifying like gender norms, if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, when I teach masculine and feminine energies, like, like you said, they're just energies, they're just polarities. And so I think, you know, some of the mentors that I've, that I've learned from don't even use those terms because they can get so convoluted and it's like, and we think it's men versus women and it's not, right? It's really more of like yin versus yang Mm -hmm. and recognizing that like yin is that softness, intuitive, passive, the dark energy. And then yang is the light. It's the sun. It's, it's hot action oriented, logical and, and cerebral, which would be the masculine. And so I think that, um, we both, we have the ability to expand into both of those polarities and no matter what, we know, right? Like if you do too much in one extreme, you're going to be imbalanced. So, so if you're too much in your yang, you're going to feel that. And if you're too much in your yin, you're going to be, feel that. And that's whether you're vulva bodied or, or cock bodied. I hope it's okay that I'm using all of these terms. <laughs> um, and so I think that even with working with men in somatic sexology, it's still about the heart opening. We, like you said, we as a whole, as a collective are, are being called to, to slow down, to open our hearts, to come back to our emotions. And so no matter if you're a man or a woman or whoever you identify as, it's about really coming home to ourselves, coming and opening up our hearts and also uniting our sexuality with our spirituality. So often um, my mentors, the, 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 the people that I worked um, and learned this approach from, they always say that often women are coming into this program for their spiritual awakening and they get a sexual awakening and it's like, bam. I mean, that's exactly what happened with me. And for men, they're coming in for their sexual awakening when really we're uniting their hearts with their cock. And then it's like a whole new world and they weren't even involving their heart and their, their love in their sex before. And so it's this massive heart opening. So it's not, it's like you said, it's not about just women coming home to their feminine. It's about all of us remembering about our emotions and, and being activated in that way. Where do you suggest, so for any of our listeners who want to begin this work, but it, it can seem right, really, I think. Yeah, I think it can be really scary to think like, how do I, how do I tap into this soft, sensual part of myself, um, partnered or unpartnered, right? Because we create so many blocks. And like you shared, we live in this culture where it's like, you're either the virgin or the whore, right? Like there's, how do you, how do you create like a sexual, sensual, feminine identity? Where do you begin? Yeah. I I like this question. My first go-to is always self-pleasure. Always self-pleasure. I think that, we'll start there. So with self-pleasure, I think there's so much opportunity. Something that I always say is that there's so many different kinds of healing containers. Like we can heal with our, there's stuff we heal on our own with ourselves. There's stuff that we heal with our partners in relationship, whether it's friends or intimate lovers. And then there's stuff we heal in community and then with practitioners. And I feel that when it comes to sexuality, there's this expectation culturally that we need to just know it and we should just like 
know how to do it and be really good at it and don't talk about it and don't ask for help. And I feel like coaching in general has become more normalized. Like I remember when I started eight, eight years ago, I remember like life coaching. It's like, why do you need a life coach? Like you're a human, right? And so like, why do we need a sex coach? But like all of these things are so important. So to go back to your original question, I think self-pleasure is always my first go-to because there's so much that we can do on our own. And I also want to let you know if it feels really heavy to go into self-pleasure, you can do that work with a practitioner and that's okay. Like I didn't feel safe enough to go into that realm. I felt like I needed massive support and I didn't even have these really big traumas, right? I just had this big lack of safety that was created from abusive partnerships or me feeling for the feminine collective. Like I think that's another important piece of this is that we're so imprinted with like female oppression and and the feminine. And so I think that often we feel that like culturally, we feel that in our bodies. So we don't need to have this really big trauma. Um, but I think that self-pleasure is such a potent area to start because if we don't know our bodies, how can we teach our partners how to know our bodies? And there's so much available in self-pleasure that can surface that we can really start to move and energy starts to move through. So I think starting with self-touch, starting with sensuality, if it feels really big and hard to go to, you know, to self-pleasure directly on your genitals, starting off with like setting the mood for yourself, right? Like being your own lover, setting the environment, starting with just self-touch, sensual play and moving into that. Yeah, I think that's a great, a great tip and a great suggestion. And you mentioned something and where you said, right, like when you start with self-pleasure, stuff can come up, right? Like it's a good, that's, it's a good place to start because it's a good place to explore. How do you suggest, like, let's say something comes up for somebody, do you then suggest journaling, um, sitting, like what's the, what's the step if something comes up or if people feel blocks, even feeling pleasure, right? Yeah. Hmm. I think this question, I think there's, like I mentioned, there's, there's stuff on the physical level. And then there's also stuff that, that the programming that we've received from like a logical side of things. And so I I do have a a free self-pleasure guide that has a lot of this in there. And what I, what I kind of guide you into is looking at it from a cerebral place first, right? In the same way that talk therapy is important. Like what's your programming around pleasure? Do you feel deserving of pleasure? Do you feel worthy? Do you feel like it's wrong? Do you feel like it's bad? Is it shameful? Do you feel like you need to produce and do all of these other things first, then be worthy of pleasure? And were you programmed maybe and told like, hey, you should never touch yourself. So going into self-pleasure might feel like this is so wrong and I need to do this in private and I can't talk about it. So really looking at the programs first and the beliefs that you have around sexuality and around self-touch and starting to mine that and then moving into self-pleasure. And like I said, there's, there's those two approaches, right? The mind and the body. So if you go right into the body, you might start having all of those thoughts. So kind of doing that initially just to be aware of, hey, I have this limiting belief right now that says I shouldn't be touching myself, but I'm going to try and break that by perhaps going into pleasure or by rewriting that story, coming up with, a, with an alternative and then using my body to, to break past that. Um, I think that a lot of unsafety can come up and, and memories can surface when you're doing self-pleasure or just any work with sexuality because, again, a lot of those memories get stored in our vagina and our yoni. And so 
to really use the three tools of breath, sound, and movement to move some of that energy. Like I've said in the beginning, everything is, is energy. And so breath and sound, um, I think often are, are forgotten. And though like when we often, when we have sex, we're not making sounds, we're being really constrictive, we're not fully expressing. And so we're also keeping in that energy. And so I think when you're, when you're self-pleasuring, you can start to explore more of that. And when certain emotions come up or if memories come up, you can use those modalities to actually move it through, getting used to the sound of your own voice, getting used to using your breath and sexuality and moving some of that. Um, and I also think that there's an expectation that pleasure should always be the main thing that we're feeling in sex right? Like it should only ever feel good. It should only orgasms and fun and and all of that. But that's not actually reality. There's, there's anger that can come up. There's sadness. There's, there's often tears and it's your body releasing. And so being okay with going into those emotions when you are playing in your sexuality, knowing that, that it's okay. And knowing that it's a, it's a physical body release. And the more that you really give yourself the space to go there and to actually fully feel it with full permission and without judgment, the more space you create to then be able to have a greater capacity for pleasure, um, and have fun with it and, and to play. Um, Wow. I'm like deep in thought now because of all the stuff here you're sharing with us. No, it's really, it's really fascinating. It makes a lot of sense. Can you talk a little bit about, you, you kind of touched on this when we were talking about, you know, connecting the heart or opening the heart, opening the mind and the body, but, um, talking about, you know, spirituality as a component of sexuality too, or, or sort of like a marriage between those two things. Um, because I think culturally a lot of people experience a real disconnect through maybe a religious or spiritual practice. Um, and can you talk about like, and that in and of itself is like a disconnect from the sexuality, right? Or programming around shame or whatever it may be, whatever your background may be. And so I, I think a lot of people um, experience, whether it's like through different, you know, whatever the practice may be, I think it's a common experience to have your, whatever you associate with your spiritual sort of life, especially when you're, you know, being raised as a child and programming in that way. Um, so that those two things really become like disconnected from each other. So can you talk about maybe some of the like ancient modalities that you guys use in somatic sexology, like Tantra and different, different sort of ancient practices that you um, draw from, but also how then that process works if someone really is super disconnected between those two things and wants to, to, combine them again, wants to unite them again. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's always so funny because I think when I first went through this healing on my own, I had no idea what was really happening behind the scenes and the tools that they were using to really bring this into full spectrum. And then learning the behind the scenes, I was like, oh my gosh, there was so much that I didn't realize. And so much of it had to do with energy work and working with the energy systems in the body and moving that, moving the blockages, moving the energy out. Um, and so I think the first thing that comes up for me is that so much of the stuff that's stored in our body is not only just ours. Like oftentimes it's not ours. It's, we can carry 14 generations worth of trauma in our tissue. 
And so, like I was saying, we feel for the female collective. We can feel our ancestors' wounds. And I remember going through the work. I was having flashbacks of, of going through my mom and my sister and my aunts and my cousins. They're wounding from the masculine from from with sexuality without really knowing, but just feeling in the core of my being like, oh my gosh, they've been so wounded and they've experienced these things. And so I think, you know, just going back to what you were saying, I think it's important to know, like, you can change the story and you can change the script and you can unite spirituality and sexuality and know that it's safe. And so I think safety is the first, first thing to really look at is how can you create safety for yourself in your body? And if you're with a partner, with your partner, like safety to explore. Um, and I think that that Tantra is a really great practice as well. We have a lot of those healing modalities used in session where you're, you're uniting the heart and you're using all these energy systems. So breath for one is really big, um, feeling grounded in your body, breathing up through your genitals, guiding that through the, the chakra systems. Um, so you can do a breath practice where you're just breathing in through your genitals, bringing it up to the crown of your head and then releasing. Um, you can do that same practice and also pulsing your PC muscle. Um, so the muscle that connects your pelvic floor to your coccyx muscle. Um, so you can kind of like pulse at the top of the breath and then pulse down. So if we were to do it together, you'd breathe, breathe in through your genitals, breathe all the way up to the crown of your head to your last chakra, your seventh chakra, and then pulse, and then you can breathe out. So really starting to think about sexuality from an energetic standpoint. I forget where I heard this from, or I think it's a tantric philosophy or whatnot, but like orgasm is just energy. It's just energy coming together. And so how can you work with your own energy and your body with breath, with imagination and start to move that? Um, the other practice that I would say is, is Taoist massage. Um, that's a big practice that we use as well. Often there's a session where you're practicing that, which is really powerful because you can rewire your nerves and rewire the body to actually feel more turn on. So I also, um, and becoming an erotic blueprint coach. I'm not sure if you've heard of erotic blueprints, but there, it's just another framework where there's five erotic blueprints. So it's sexual, kinky, <clears throat> sensual, energetic, and shapeshifter. And so it's a really beautiful framework because it allows you to put language to your turn on. And the reason I bring that up is because I think that often we shame ourselves for not being turned on by specific things. And once we start to really understand our blueprints, we can understand like, maybe going straight to genital touch doesn't feel good. Like that short circuits me, I'm a highly energetic. So if you play in my energetic blueprint first and then go to genital touch and play in the sexual blueprint, that feels good. So I bring that up because I think with Taoist massage, we can start to reprogram your body's turn on and again, widen the scope of, of turn on and pleasure for you. So maybe if you're used to playing in the sexual or you're not energetic, that can start to to, um, to reprogram your body so that you can feel more of those things. We wanted to take a quick moment away from this episode to share an exciting new discount code we have with Energy Bits. Energy Bits is a company that sells bits of whole food edible algae, spirulina and chlorella for vitality, immunity, energy, recovery, beauty, and more. Energy Bits are sustainable, non-GMO, and provide pure, safe, protein-packed, plant-based nutrition from real food. Everything from the company 
is consciously and sustainably sourced, and they only sell the highest quality spirulina and chlorella. This edible algae is also the most alkaline and nutrient-dense food in the world and is used by professional athletes and wellness enthusiasts alike. These little bits pack a major punch. Erica and I are currently taking energy bits daily, blended into our smoothies, mixed into a dairy-free yogurt bowl, or taken individually as tablets with our other daily superfood supplements. We both have been using the Vitality Bits specifically to boost our immune system and overall health. Vitality Bits are 50% chlorella and 50% spirulina, and it is really unmatched in its nutrient profile. I also really love the Beauty Bits, which promote glowing skin, better energy, and total beauty from the inside out. If you want to try Energy Bits, you can save 20% on your order when you visit energybits.com and use the code CWPODCAST at checkout. Let us know what you think and tag us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness. We know you will love the products as much as we do. You can also check out the direct link in our show notes. Now, back to the episode. That sounds interesting. It almost sounds like the love languages, but for sex in a way. Um, And I'm wondering how that works also with partnership too, because it's like, if you, I'm just sort of equating it right now to like the love language thing, but it's like, Mm -hmm. if you speak, if your primary language is this and your partner's primary language is this, but maybe you speak a little bit of this and speak a little of this, but like you don't, your first language is like your first language is French and you know, his or her first language is Japanese or whatever it may be. It's like you don't necessarily come with the same um, communication skills or like what works the most easily. But then in that, do, do I guess my question is, do couples use that also where you can really expand so that you can speak or um, really understand your partner's turn-ons? Totally. And I think that's where the beauty of the blueprints lie is like, it is a framework, right? Like we do the same thing with love languages where it's like, okay, maybe gift giving is my specialty and my partner is not recognizing that that's a show of love from me. So having that understanding is so powerful. So with the erotic blueprints, they're, they're beautiful because there's so many facets to it. Um, but first, like you, you understanding what turns you on, like what are your blueprints and, and then learning what your partner's blueprint is and how you can turn them on. And then there's also the piece of speaking the blueprints. Like you said, there's also like actual language, right? So energetic language is going to have more of a tantric flavor, like using words of, of yoni and lingam or like wand of light and temple. And then maybe a sexual blueprint is going to be a little bit more cock, pussy, like the words that we uh, would see in porn. Like porn is a really good example of what the sexual blueprint would be. Sensual would be really igniting all of your senses, playing with uh, sensual food play or, you know, like full body touch using all of you oils, scents. And then kinky would be more of that scratching, pulling. So if your partner is a kinky and you're an energetic, there's going to be a little bit of a disconnect. So it's learning what what fuels you, learning what feeds your partner, and then how you can come together and almost follow. Like sexuality is fluid, so it's always changing, but there is typically some kind of um, step by step that gets you to that turn on. And yes, that will change, especially the more that you heal. Um, and then part of that as well is, is learning how to expand into other blueprints. And 
what's funny about the blueprints is, is that often we're often we are matched. Like our partner is almost always opposite blueprint of us. So like I'm a highly energy, I'm a high energetic shapeshifter. A shapeshifter is the only one I haven't spoken too much about, but it's basically a shapeshifter is turned on by all of the blueprints and likes all of it, wants all of it. So I'm an energetic shapeshifter. My partner is a sexual sensual. I have so many triggers around sexual blueprint. So it's like we're always matched with the opposite. And so this, the framework is powerful because you can really learn how to heal the shadows so that you can step into other blueprints. And again, the, the goal is to expand your capacity for pleasure and to feel turned on by all of it. Can you have conscious casual sex, right? Like, can you also have, cause we're talking about all this, like it, sex is really spiritual and, um, energetic. And I, I believe everything we're talking about and Allie and I are both partnered. Right. Um, but I think there are a lot of like, right. Like women who also just want to have maybe some casual sex or they don't want to be partnered or they're, you know, for whatever reason. Right. Is that something that's also possible? Right. Talking about the blueprints, getting to know yourself. How do you have conscious, energetic, casual sex? Totally. Yeah, I think that as the more that you heal and expand, the more that you're able to engage in more things. Like something I've been talking about lately is how boundaries shift and change. And so if you're just getting into the world of sexuality, a boundary for you might be like, I need to feel energetically connected with you first to feel loved, to feel seen, to feel heard before we go into a sexual experience together. And then maybe once, you know, you start to heal. And again, I want to also say like, there's no right or wrong that that might always be the way the first step for you. Like I'm in a place where I've been doing this for a little bit and that's still what I need in the beginning and that's okay. But I think in the future, maybe that's, that won't be the case. And so boundaries can shift and what feels good can shift. So I bring that up because I think that when it comes to casual sex, if sex, is something that has had a lot of shame and you've been programmed to feel like it's only for, for in marriage or there's been a lot of religious beliefs around it. Like going right to casual sex might feel confusing because there might be half of you that's like, yeah, this is totally okay. And then the other half is maybe not so much. Right. So maybe like moving into that more that you work with those inner aspects and those stories, I feel that the more able you're able, the more ability you have to play in those different realms and perhaps have conscious sex, uh, casual sex. And I think I were to post the other day too, that like that all sexuality is sacred. Like, yes, tantric sex has the, the flavor of uniting God and oneness and transcendental experiences and like altered states, but also kink is sacred too. Like you're, it's just as, as sacred of an act when you're getting spanked and you're calling him daddy and you're getting scratched and all of this stuff, like that's still an okay expression. And so I think that it's, you know, I think that casual sex is possible and I think it can be conscious. And I think that what's most important in setting that safe container is consent and boundaries. And so if you're having casual sex, like bringing the conversation of consent, bringing the conversation of boundaries to have both parties feel comfortable and knowing, Hey, this is casual and this is never going to be more than this. Or for right now, this is what it is. And that's what makes me feel good. And we're on the same page. Cool. Let's go. And then we're able to fully let go into the experience. Yeah. I'm curious too. What do you think, like, what would you visualize as like 
the future for women and sex, right? Like in your, for the, for our generation healing for the next generations, you know, I think like we keep talking, right? Like the word shame comes up so much because so many women have so much shame around their bodies and their sexuality and their sexual energy. Um, what is like your vision, right? For what you would love um, female sexuality to become. And also what do you think the steps are to get there? Yeah. As a collective. Sure. I don't think I've ever been asked this question. <laughs> um, what do I see? I feel that I see huh, like healing of the past, healing generational wounds and trauma and fully realizing that it's okay to be sexual. It's okay to be in your sexuality. It's okay to play in every flavor of your sexuality, like all of the blueprints to know it's safe, um, to have proper education around sexuality and what our body is really capable of and to feel celebrated and empowered in that. I think that's the, the main thing is to feel celebrated in your emotions, to feel um, turned on for, for all of who you are. And and I also think the ability to expand into all of it, right? To feel okay with expanding into all of it. I think, you know, one of my mentors is always saying that like we're all shapeshifters and we've just collected all of this other noise and stuff like that too, that takes us away from perhaps feeling pleasure in each of these areas. So I think part of what I see is being able to feel t- fully turned on by all of it, by being comfortable with our bodies, for being naked, for all of our shapes and sizes and what we look like down there and everywhere in our body. Um, and for also feeling unapologetic for the desires that we do have with partners. I think that in a lot of the, the spaces that I've been in, in regards to the sexual communities that I've had experience with is I've always like come back to quote unquote, like the real world and be like, I don't know how to be in the real world when there's been so much shedding of sexual programming, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of it also has to do with relationship um, and just bringing in the conversation of like poly or open. I don't think that, I think that that's something that has, has gained more traction and more awareness of. And so part of me also feels I, I've never been in a poly or an open relationship. I think that's something that I see for myself in the future. Um, and I think that that's another part of the conversation is like, you know, is it one partner or is it feeling met with a whole bunch of different partners? And if that's what you desire, there's nothing wrong with that. And to celebrate that too. So I think that's another piece of it is how are we relating to sexuality in our relationship and what containers feel best and giving yourself full permission to really be able to, to unapologetically go after that. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, it's so nice to have this kind of conversation. We actually haven't on our show yet really dove into anything sort of like this. I mean, we've talked a lot. We talk a lot about the female body, um, but, but not in the context of like sexuality and spirituality too. And um, the sense of just really feeling being able to have this really like honest conversation and taking away sort of any of that stigma around multiple options, right? Like we've, we've put sort of all this criteria on ourselves and like what happens when, when you remove it. And, um, and that's kind of like, even just hearing you talk about your vision, it's kind of like an exciting thing to just like even open our minds to all the different possibilities for how people can experience it in a positive way, especially since there has been generational trauma, right? Um, that, yeah. that exists. And it's just even like 
even just right judgment. I think it's like, we talk so much, I think as women now, and I feel like collectively, hopefully we have this conversation about like, we have to like rip judgment out of like the conversation. Like what somebody else does is like their choice in their business. Um, you know, in terms of like body positivity and health and like eating disorder recovery, like so much stuff, right. Is in this conversation. But I do think there still is like judgment with sexuality or judgment with, you know, um, like the sexual female identity. And I think that's so important about because it is like what people do in their sexual lives and in their partnership, as long as they're being safe and consensual is really their choice. And so I love, thank you too for bringing up, I think that conversation. And I know there's people out there talking about the different types of relationships you can have and like, um, all of that. But I think it's still important to have this conversation because it's, I think like the last puzzle piece of this, like judgmental conversation that I feel like has grown and is happening. Um, I do have one more question for you. Um, you know, you clearly are like a, a, an amazing practitioner um, and you work with people virtually too and online, right? So people everywhere can come and work with you. But how do you suggest people really do their due diligence when finding, you know, like a sexual, a sexologist or a healer um, because it can be really hard and harmful. And we actually have a close friend who had a, a really terrible experience actually with a, a sexual healer. Um, so is there any um, suggestions that you would give? Like, what are some questions you should ask? How should you go into this type of relationship with somebody who is working on helping you sexually heal? Totally. I'm, I'm grateful that you brought this question forward. I think it's a needed conversation. Um, I want to go back a little bit just to what you were saying before the question. I think, oh no, that's perfect. I think so. Just going back to like talking about the judgment and the different kinds of relationship containers. I feel like one of the biggest fears that comes forward and it definitely came forward to me. There was a turning point where I was like, I'm so scared to step into this world. I'm so scared to step into this expression because there was fear of playing too big. Like we get to that point where we start to expand and we're big and then we're like, oh my God, do I really have the ability to take up this much space? Like, is this okay? And so I think that that's a total normal fear and to feel like I'm going to, I'm going to like lose things, right? Like you, you are going to lose things. You're going to lose pieces of you that you thought were needed. And I think what's really big with sexuality is often the relationships that we're in just shift. Like it happens. I think with somatic sexology, there's always this warning of like, if you're in a relationship, like your partner should be in this work with you. Cause if, if they're not often the relationship kind of dissolves. And that happened to me. I was in one where we were like, Oh my gosh, this is it. And then I went through it and it was, it dissolved. And it was like the, it was like trauma bonding almost. Right. And so when you start to heal a lot of that things, things shift. And so I think just, just knowing that, you know, that, that fear that you feel is also really an invitation to come back into your wholeness and to feel okay with all of who you are and all of your desires and know that it's perfect and that you're allowed to, and that you're, you're leading, like you're leading your tribe, you're leading for your family generation of, or maybe being repressed and not expressing all of their desires. Um, and going back to your question, I think with sexuality, I've, I've heard a lot of that. I've been fortunate to not have any negative experiences in the sexual community. Um, I think that the first 
couple of questions and the things that pop up most is to really look at who, who you're working with, right? Like what's their experience? How long have they been in the field? And what are their conversations with you around consent and boundaries? I think that's the number one thing. Um, I just had a call with um, my community earlier where we had this conversation and I think it's something that we just really overlook. I think there's a, we don't have the best sexual education here and can, and the sex education that we do have doesn't really talk about consent and boundaries in the way of how do we have these conversations and how do we feel honored and what feels good and what feels when what doesn't. And so I think that that would be the first thing is, are they having these conversations? Are they giving you you know, full agency to say yes and to say no and continuously checking back in with your body. Because I think that again, as sexuality is fluid and we're working with such potent energy, your yes might be a yes right now, but in a couple weeks or in the next session, it might not be a yes. And there might be things there. So I think continuously checking in with your own body as well and trusting your intuition. I think a part of this is really honoring when you have a no in your body and like trusting that. I think when we run into trouble is when we feel that. And then we move up to our heads and we're like, well, no, you know, this person is this or this person said that and it must be okay. So I'm going to ignore this intuitive hit right now and just move forward anyway. So I think the biggest thing is, is talking to the practitioner, looking at their history, their education, um, how many people they've worked with. And, and I also think that if they're not very experienced, like that can be okay too, but if they're owning that piece, mm-hmm. right? Like, it ha- like, what is your experience? Okay, have you not worked with that many with this many individuals? Like, are they owning that and saying this is this is newer for me, right? Like, I'm learning. I knew I had to do a lot of that in the beginning when I was first practicing, and still do, because um, I think it's just an important conversation. And then checking in with your own body and learning your yes and your no and what's what feels right and and when maybe there's this kind of it's not an alignment and something's off here and trusting that. Thank you. I think that's really good advice. Um, and I'm curious. So we ask all of our guests, what, what is your self-care practice look like on a daily basis? Because you're talking about, you know, you are a practitioner and we've, we talk to so many practitioners in different fields and, um, sometimes the idea of, uh, compassion fatigue comes up. And I imagine in, especially in like the somatic sexology world, when you're doing work, this kind of sometimes can be like heavy work too. People are processing trauma. Um, what do you do to take care of yourself? I like this question. Um, it depends on the work that I'm doing. I, I think often I need to, I always like to just check back in with myself and take a couple of moments of silence or stillness, because like you said, a lot of the work is, is heavy and it's big. And there's, it's almost like, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've moved through around lack of safety with men or, or sexual repression, like that can come back. And so always monitoring and being in touch with my body and what are, what am I taking in and what do I need to do in order to, to resource myself back to my wholeness? So some of my practices, um, definitely self-pleasure is one of them. Um, also doing a lot of like shamanic shaking and just kind of shaking it out of the body, like wiping it off in a sense, like getting that energy out. Um, And also like dancing is a huge one for me and just bringing myself into a higher vibrational state. I think that something that I'm always teaching my clients and reminding myself of is is like when we're not feeling the best or when we do move into a self-practice, like 
what lights us up in order to bring us to the place that we want to be. Like we have to curate the type of energy that we want to be in. So what practices light you up and bring you into that space? And for me, it's, it's dancing, it's self-pleasure, it's, it's coloring. Like I always have coloring books, um, breath and movement and sound. Uh, so those are typically my kinds of practices. Thank you so much. And our last question we always ask our guests is, do you have a book that you would recommend to our listeners? It can be on this topic or it can be on anything that's been inspirational to you um, throughout your journey. Sure. Um, I'm going to give you my top three. <laughs> um, the first one is, is Pussy by Regina Thomas Howard. That's a really awesome read. I think that's a really great book to start to awaken yourself to a lot of this. And then uh, the second book that I would recommend is Vagina. They all have great titles. Uh, Vagina by Naomi Wolf. It's a little bit of a thicker book. I really like that book a lot because there's a lot of science in it. So there's talk about sexual trauma, how that changes our brain, um, act like and, and actually uh, disarms our body's ability to handle stress. And so there's a lot of really valuable information in that. And then the third book is Women Who Run With the Wolves. It's more of a storytelling book and really introduces you to different archetypes of the divine feminine and, and the wild woman more specifically. Well, thank you so much for all your, your wealth of information today. And um, if anybody is interested in finding you or following you, where can they find you? on the interwebs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm mainly on Instagram. So at Julianne Vaccaro, my website is juliannevaccaro.com. And then I have a podcast called the reclamation project on iTunes and Spotify. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of courageous wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch through our website, www.courageouswellnesspodcast.com. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness. Courageous Wellness.